Instead of looking forward yet and planning for next year, you know, I want us to look back. And sometimes looking back is painful, right? Next week, we'll look forward. You know, we're going to consider our vision for next year, which will be to look up and receive God's vision for us. But today, I want us to look back in order to remember God's faithfulness to us this year. And this would be both for your life individually, as well as for us collectively, as a church family. So for the next two weeks, we'll both look back and look up. In Psalm 40, David masterfully teaches us how to remember God's faithfulness. You know, maybe you hear remembering God's faithfulness and you feel anxious because things aren't quite all buttoned up today. You know, I want to encourage you. David shows us that remembering God's faithfulness isn't just about reflecting on all the ways he has delivered you and where things are all tied up in a bow. We reflect on his faithfulness even, and perhaps especially, in the areas that aren't yet resolved. We reflect on his faithfulness because of the desperate circumstances we're in today. Being desperate for God to show up today and to bring us and carry us through to next year is no less an act of trust and faith than recounting the ways he has delivered you in the past. And so, today, after we hear from David in Psalm 40, we're going to take some time to hear from one another. We'll have two of our family members, Stephanie uh, Regal and Chris Black, share from their experience of God's faithfulness, both in areas of deliverance and of continued longing, And then before we enter our time of worship at the end, we're going to have an opportunity for any of you to share just open time, briefly, a snippet of God's faithfulness to you, whether it's an answered prayer or continued longing. Today is a day, December 31st, for us to corporately remember the faithfulness of our God, to boldly proclaim to ourselves, to one another, the faithfulness of our God. So first, let's find out how to do that exactly. So why don't you find Psalm 40? Go ahead and stand up. All right, go ahead and follow along as I read Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. You can stay standing while we pray. Father God, we come to you as David came to you. Some of us might feel confident and and celebratory in the ways that you've answered their prayers, that you've delivered them this year. Some might feel completely confused and in a foggy place, in a dark place, and cannot see. Thank you that you welcome both. Thank you that in both places we can lean with all our weight on the steadfast love and faithfulness of you. I pray that you would remove distractions from our heads this morning, attune our ears and our hearts to your spirit and what he wants to convince us of this morning about you. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Man, isn't that a good psalm? Man. That's basically been my life psalm for about three years. And in it, you know, David gives us three aspects of remembering God's faithfulness. First, 
he gives us the model of recounting God's past deeds. You know, this is going to be three R's, okay? It's not, I know life isn't this simple, but it's three R's. Recounting God's past deeds. But then second, rehearsing God's character. And then third, relying desperately on him. And of course, as a preacher, I'm tempted to present these points in three easy steps. But David knows that the life of faith is not that simple. The life of faith for every person who walks with this God is messy. So these three R's are not three linear steps. Think of them as three sides of a triangle or three legs to a stool. And so the first aspect of remembering God's faithfulness we see in verses 1 through 8 is recounting the mighty deeds of God. And these are both deeds God has done in our personal lives as well as his mighty deeds as laid out in Scripture. You know, David was clearly in a tough spot. We don't know exactly what was going on in his life to warrant such language. But he says there in verse 2, he was in the pit of destruction. Or a miry bog. The NIV says he was in a slimy pit. The mud and the mire. He was helpless. He was in a place that he couldn't get out of himself. He was at the end of his rope. And he recounts what happened. He was in trouble. He was helpless, and then he cried out to God. He waited patiently for the Lord. And then it says that God heard his cry, inclined to him, and rescued him. And that word inclined to him, it literally means God bent down towards him. I find it fascinating that here in this psalm, if you read through to the end like we just did, verses 1 through 8 is not where he currently is. Right now, at the end of penning this psalm, David is in another tough spot. So if we fast forward to verses 11 through 17, we find similar language again. Evils have encompassed me. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. David describes a, a desperate situation, both within and without. He's got darkness within and enemies without. In fact, verses 13 through 17, that is Psalm 70. If you take verses 13 through 17 and you compare them to Psalm 70, it's the same. Isn't that amazing? And that tells me that it's okay to just state your desperate plea. You don't have to start with a recounting of God's past actions every time. But here in Psalm 40, that is what David models for us. When we are desperate, when we are in a fight-or-flight response, 
we can start off our cry for help with a recounting of God's past wondrous deeds. Has God shown up for you big time in the past? You can preach that to yourself. And for David, this leads him to our next aspect of remembering God's faithfulness, which is rehearsing God's character. And we see hints of this as we go along. In verse 3, he says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. In verse 5, he said, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And then we get the full meal deal in verses 9 through 10. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And so first we see him recounting the specific past mighty deeds of God, of rescue, of deliverance, for him pulling him out of the mud, putting him on a rock. And then that leads him to just speak of this character, to rehearse God's character. And so what we see in David's life is that God's past actions, both in Scripture and in his personal life, form an understanding of his character, which is steadfast love or loyal love. The word is hesed. It's the word for God's never-ending, never-giving-up, unshakable, always-and-forever love. That's a paraphrase of the Jesus Storybook Bible. That love and his faithfulness. And so here is where, for you, maybe the order is not, might not be helpful. You know, what if, for you, your perception of God's past actions or inactions in your life doesn't lead you to an understanding of this of this character what if when you reflect on your life when you reflect on this last year you don't discern a god of steadfast love and faithfulness this is where it might be helpful to start with the second one rehearsing the character of god god is a god of steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who he is. One way we can more fully know this to be true is because we don't just rehearse God's character alone in our bedroom. The place where God's character is to be rehearsed, according to David here, is in the great congregation, which for us means with one another. Those who have experienced the salvation of God are to rehearse it for the rest of us. Perhaps you can't see the steadfast love and faithfulness of God personally right now. That's okay. We'll see in verses 11 through 17 that there are foggy, confusing times when your inner or outer circumstances cloud your vision of God's character. In those times, you don't need to conjure up feelings of trust. You need to listen to your brothers and sisters. Are they still experiencing this true character of God? 
And as life after life after life of a trusted family member attests to God's true character, your faith is bolstered, undergirded, underwritten. And if you're someone who can recount God's past faithfulness, David suggests here, don't keep it to yourself. There are countless people both Christian and non, who need to hear of the true character of this God. And they might only hear it from you because their life isn't telling them it. And now we arrive here in the second half of the psalm at David's real reason for composing this psalm. You know, he's not just at the end of the year 1023 B.C., heading into the new year, reflecting on how great his life is now that God has delivered him. Once again, in the present, David finds himself in a tight spot. Once again, he is desperate, recounting God's past actions and rehearsing God's character didn't fix his current dilemma, but it did prepare him to face it. And so this brings us to the third aspect of remembering God's faithfulness, according to David, which is relying desperately on God. So we have recounting, we have rehearsing, and we have relying. Just because David has been delivered in the past and knows the character of God, doesn't remove the urgency of this plea for help. We read it. David is blinded by his situation. He can't see the way forward. He doesn't feel the nearness of God. He just preached it to himself, but he can't feel it. As confidently as David declared God's past salvation and character, he is not afraid to show his utter desperation. I'm 34 years old. And I have experienced both this acute deliverance, this just obvious, completely obvious to me at least, of God's saving grace in my real life. And I believe in this true character of God. I can state, most times, beyond the shadow of any doubt for me, that I know God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. I've experienced it firsthand. But I, like David, It's always nice when you can say, I'm like David. No. I love how honest David is. And so I, like David, still have a steady stream of situations where I feel blind to God's goodness. Blind to his steadfast love for me. Blind to his past faithfulness. As desperate as ever for the deliverance of God whether it's from enemies within, sins, traumas, insecurities, wounds, or enemies without, relational strife, 
cultural forces, family dynamics, Satan himself. It's easy to feel like I should know this lesson by now. I shouldn't be so blindsided by a new situation in which to rely on the God that I know. But I am. And it bugs me. It's embarrassing. But did you see? David shows no such shame in letting God in on his complete desperation. He shows no embarrassment in revealing just how needy he is. Just how full of longing he is. So if King David, the man after God's own heart, can feel like this or not feel like this, how much more should you be able to be weak and needy before God in times of fresh need? It doesn't matter how many times God has gotten you out of a scrape, there will be times when you can't see him or feel him. I love that the author of Hebrews grabs verses 6 through 8 and applies them directly to Jesus. And it's not super obvious right off the bat. But according to the author of Hebrews, this is a direct prophecy of Jesus. Let's look at that again. It says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. And then the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, says, But you have prepared a body for me. I'm not going to get into why it's different. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. And this, according to the author of Hebrews, this is the words of Jesus. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And so built into this beautiful and instructive psalm, we have a prophecy of Jesus coming to bring full complete fulfillment to the entire sacrificial system of the Mosaic Law. Built into this psalm of remembering the past faithfulness of God, we have a prophecy of the mightiest act of God there ever was or ever would be. The incarnation of the Son of God. The the absorbing of all evil and wickedness into his own body until it was broken. The pouring out of his blood until the new covenant was established. So in those dark moments, when you can't joyfully, like David, sing a new song, you can always hearken back to this mighty act. The one that we recount. The one that we rehearse every single week when we come to the table during communion. And so David concludes this psalm holding this dual reality intention. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. He says, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And so, 
There's this dual reality. In this relationship with our saving God, we have access, as it says, to rejoicing. We have access to gladness. In the words of Andy Williams, in my favorite Christmas song, he says, bring out the bells. We've got a good reason. We always, always, doesn't matter what happened this year, doesn't matter what is going to happen next year, we always have a good reason to rejoice in God. It's because we've tasted the salvation of God. We know the hope of God. We always have a good reason to sing of the faithfulness of God. So that's on the one hand, but on the other, simultaneously, we can also be openly and unashamedly poor and needy. And in that place, we can rest assured that God sees us in that place. And he welcomes our desperate plea for help and deliverance. And like David, we can even put a rush order on it. Do not delay, oh my God. Stat, hurry. And so David has laid out how it is that we can remember God's faithfulness. We can recount his mighty deeds. We can rehearse his character. And then we can put our money where our mouth is and rely desperately, though, on him. And so we're going to turn now and do it ourselves. So first, we'll, we'll hear from Steph, and then Chris, and then we'll open it up uh, for a time of brief sharing all together um, before we sing together. Sound good? Amen. Steph? Um, so, yeah, I was kind of given the task of going through verses 1 through 10 and kind of recounting um, from my story uh, what the Lord has done, and so it's encouraging to me that uh, my pastor sees my growth and how the Lord has delivered me these last couple years, and so I went through and reviewed my journals um, from those several months, and most of what I'm about to recount comes from them. Um, I plan to take you on this journey of how deep the pit was for me, and then how much God did to put me back on firm foundation, like the psalm says. So what was this miry bog I ended up in? I'll give you the facts. Um, there was a series of events leading to the summer of 2021. Tough things, but also some really good things. And I was personally becoming really inspired by global missions and house church movements across the world. I felt called to go on a vision trip to a country to see if it would be a good fit for me to do missions in. Things were going great for most of the trip. I was absolutely loving it and felt God was calling me there unequivocally. But things started to turn a different direction than I expected, and near the end, I had the worst breakdown I've ever had in my life, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. It was the scariest thing that I have ever gone through. During this breakdown, I was out of contact for several hours, and when they found me, the people there took me to a hospital to run tests to see if I had been drugged or had something in my brain that would have caused this kind of behavior. But all the tests came back without anything conclusive. Two people from our church flew out to get me on a rescue mission and bring me back home safely. It was pretty serious. 
And after I got back and stabilized a bit, I realized what all had happened. I didn't see a clear cause, and I felt I only had myself to blame, which led me to utter despair. It was what Psalm 40 calls this miry bog of confusion. What followed for the next several months describes how deep the pit was. My prayers in the depths were ruthlessly honest and often just one-sentence prayers, like, I'm tired of trying and getting nowhere. I'm so sad. I feel so far from you, and I have no idea how to get back. God, please return to me. It felt like a black hole, and the real question that was throwing me off is that I was convinced I heard God say that I was supposed to be in that country, and that didn't happen. I questioned my relationship with God entirely. Could I actually hear his voice? Was I actually one of his sheep? Many times I barely made it to church. It was very common for me to break down crying. I couldn't hold it together, and I couldn't feel God. I continued to cry out to the Lord through the Psalms, including these ones. Psalm 28, 1. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Lest, if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Psalm 51. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 139, 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I was so desperate, I was doing anything and all I could to get out of this pit. At one point, I threw away all my beloved Disney and Harry Potter memorabilia I could find because I was anxious it was affecting my spiritual walk. But I don't know how much of that stuff I threw away actually helped, and I think that's reflected here in the verses. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. So when I reflect on what it actually was God did do to deliver me, it wasn't just one thing. It was actually several different things and over time. In this, I'm reminded of a great Tim Keller sermon called The Wounded Spirit, and he goes into different aspects of how God cares about us, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, etc. So I'll also list these out in the case of my testimony. Emotionally, God restored me by helping me learn to manage my different emotions. Through a little over a year of counseling, I learned to see these as signals to process, then respond with a proper action. Before, I would see situations in black and white, but after, I could acknowledge the gray areas in life and ask for God's wisdom in them. God also gave me the gift of many good friendships and counsel. My friends were not like Job's friends. They listened, sat with me, and said the right things. I had immense shame about what happened and the thoughts that went through my head during this breakdown. And Heather said, those actually aren't uncommon questions for people to ask. You aren't alone. I asked, how could God forget me and abandon me? And Rejoice said, no, he orchestrated your rescue. I asked, how can I be forgiven for what I did? Cindy said, you are already forgiven before it happened. I asked, why did I fail so bad? How could this have happened? Amy said, I really don't think it's failure, it's training. Mentally, God restored me as well and gave me the tools to see through the confusion of the miry bog. He showed me to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Not every strong thought that comes into my head is something that the Holy Spirit is necessarily bringing up. And the thoughts God did send my way showed his steadfastness and faithfulness. They were like glimpses of light as he brought me out of the pit and into the sun. He brought verses to my mind like Romans 5, 9 through 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of, death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The spiritual stuff was the toughest parts to work through with God, and ultimately the spiritual stuff is about relationship. 
I feel I didn't trust God anymore and that he abandoned me, and that was the root of it. But he rebuilt this step by step, and it took a while, over several months. First, I began to believe again that he was good. Then I believed he was capable of forgiving me. Third, I believed he is worthy to be trusted. And fourthly, I trusted him to cover the things that I didn't understand that happened, forgive me of the areas where I fell short, and teach me how to not make the same mistakes again. He set my feet upon the rock and made my steps to Kura. And another thing the Lord had to walk me through was redefining expectations of relationship with him. I had the expectation that if I do good things for God, I will succeed and be loved by him. But then God showed me that expectations ruin relationships, and the expectations I was putting on my relationship with him were unfair. And with that, I began to understand how sin obscured my relationship with God and how to deal with it better. Although I had passion and zeal for the Lord to be a missionary, it clouded my vision to see my sin with a sober mind, and I thought gave me an excuse to act without wisdom. The Lord brought this verse to my mind late in the night this week as I was writing this testimony. James 1 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I was trying to hear God through the loud and ugly voice of my own desire. I could not see past my desire to be important, successful, and to be loved by people, which led tremendously to my breakdown. But now God has showed me what my role in success is, and I learned that it is his job to bring results and not mine, and I can rest in that. Additionally, and finally, God gave me the gift of reading the Narnia books, which totally transformed how I see Jesus. Aslan, who is the character modeled after Jesus, Jesus was always firm in what was right, but so loving at the same time. At one point, Aslan the lion says to the children, this was the very reason you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there, and now I know God better here because of these wonderful books. And like the end of the psalm says, I could go on and on about how God saved me. In fact, I have seven more pages of things I wrote, but don't have time for today. But I also get to say today and fulfill it for myself that I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And so I'll leave you with one of the Lord's thoughts toward me that I really think sums up things pretty well from these last couple of years to me. An excerpt from Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Thanks. Thanks, Steph. Um, it was really encouraging, and I learned a lot from you. Thanks for being willing to share. and. Um, just grateful that there's a God who can deliver us like that and who also loves us in the midst of those seasons. Um, can y'all hear me okay? I can't tell. Cool. Um, I'm going to share from kind of a perspective my story from that's maybe more reflective of the latter half of Psalm 40. 
10 years ago, I was baptized in a small church in a small town in Mississippi. Uh, my baptism had been a long time coming, but it came at the right time uh, and at the end of a difficult season for me. I had found myself through a mix of things, both my own doing and others not, uh, in a pretty low place in life. And I'd been a churchgoer for most of my life. Tried to do the things I felt I was supposed to do, but up to then, I didn't really feel like it was helping. Um, but in that season, I was desperate, and I was holding, it felt like I was holding on for dear life. Uh, what I didn't know was that I needed, in that moment, was God's love. Uh, and, and the good thing is that it showed up. Uh, the true, real, loving God showed up in, in very real ways in my life and changed me. Uh, my faith changed from just a collection of kind of tedious and tiring and frustrating things I felt like I should be doing to like desire actually awoken. I actually wanted to be doing the things I always felt like I should. Uh, and I actually felt delivered in that season. Uh, and it was all grace. But that's not really how life has felt lately. Uh, the last few years for me have held uh, loss, some deep, including the unexpected and quick death of my dad. It's held confusion and risks that haven't yet panned out, uh, a pandemic, which we've all felt, uh, and relationships and friendships that have changed, and a whole lot of things that I just don't understand. Um, some things I've played a role in and others not as much. Uh, and at times, it's been difficult to trust God in this season. Um, and I'm not okay with it. I'm not the best example of suffering well. Um, but if it's grace that saved me 10 years ago, I think it's the same grace that continues to save me today. Um, what's interesting to me in this psalm is that, as Nick alluded to, uh, maybe all this shouldn't be so surprising. Um, I've been learning that life might not be as linear as I want it to be. Uh, I think we are all headed in one direction, either towards God or, or away from him. Uh, but the paths there are not necessarily straight, and they're not the same as anyone else's. Um, I'm encouraged in Psalm 40 that the troubles come after the praises. Um, after a story of God's deliverance, there can still be troubles in life. Uh, troubles that come from things that are allied against us or even from ourselves. Um, but they always still seem to surprise me and frustrate me and disappoint me. Um, but maybe it shouldn't. Uh, two of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23 and 139, speak to the idea that the darkness of life even contains the presence of God. Uh, even darkness is not dark to you, is what Psalm 139 says. So there's nowhere we can go that we can't find him or he can't find us. Um, so as hard as it feels, I've been learning that this tension of having encountered the goodness of God and the present struggles uh, is just a part of life. Uh, and that there is actually some ways that we can engage it. Um, there's this wonderful man by the name of Dan Allender. He's a therapist and a professor who helped found a school in the local area uh, for theology and psychology. Two years ago, I heard him tell a story uh, when they were raising funds to kind of found that school, and, uh, and I haven't forgotten it. Uh, when they were raising money, he reached out to a very wealthy man to ask for money, and that man gave him three things. He gave him the money, uh, a poker chip, and some advice. And Dan tells uh, this story with his poker chip in hand, um, he shares the advice that this man gave him, and that advice is that he who can bear ambiguity the longest wins. I think with ambiguity becomes uncertainty and confusion, and that creates just a lot of tension. Um, I feel like these moments that Psalm 40 presents and that life um, finds us in, these are moments of ambiguity and tension, and the question I've found myself in in seasons past and still uh, today is how long can I hang on for? Um, I've been encouraged of late that uh, even Jesus, Jesus' followers felt this way. When, when he told them they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood, a lot of them walked away. Some of them stayed, even though they really didn't know what he was talking about. 
um, there's still ambiguity in, in that relationship. Um, and I, th- I thank God for the honesty that's found in Scripture that, that I can admit to, that I don't really know sometimes what Jesus is saying, and I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. Um, Dan Allender, he takes the story that he tells and he asks kind of some other questions. He, he says, can you hold the anxiety and the tension of these moments and trust that there will be goodness? Can you bear the gamble and the likelihood of some kind of loss? Um, it's been hard to sit with this tension and ambiguity of life uh, as it currently is, but I, I wonder if we, if we bear it, if we work through it, uh, if we might discover what this psalm alludes to in the first half. I love in verse 3 how the psalmist says he put a new song in my mouth, and I love the idea that our lives, uh, my life, can, can be a song that God is writing with me and with my life. Um, the psalmist offers a lot of encouragement, a lot of grace for uh, what can be a difficult journey at times, and I think it uh, might even offer us some instruction, but uh, I'd like to go to a place that's been encouraging to me in this journey and a place that the psalm made me think of, uh, and that's to the words of poet and priest Malcolm Geip. Um, wherever we find ourselves in life, um, in this nonlinear journey towards God, whether we're praising him or cursing life or begging for mercy, if we're going to discover the song God wants to give us and make with our lives, we can't start anywhere else but where we are. And so uh, the first encouragement from uh, Malcolm Guyton in his poem, The Singing Bowl. Begin the song exactly where you are. Remain within the world of which you're made. Call nothing common in the earth or air. Accept it all and let it be for good. Start with the very breath you breathe in now, this moment's pulse, this rhythm in your blood, and listen to it, ringing soft and low. Stay with the music, words will come in time. Slow down your breathing, keep it deep and slow. Become an open singing bowl whose chime is richness rising out of emptiness and timelessness resounding into time. And when the heart is full of quietness, begin the song exactly where you are. Um, I'd like to share just one more thing. I don't think this is easy. I think um, with Steph's testimony and what Nick has shared, we, we can all see that and probably what we've all experienced just in life. We know that this is not easy and it can be heartbreaking at times. Um, I've asked for uh, deliverance and still am feeling a lot of this tension and ambiguity that is um, that I just don't want present uh, in life. Uh, in verse 12, the psalmist is honest enough to show us that uh, we, myself most certainly included, find ourselves in deep need of deliverance, not only because of evil that surrounds us, uh, but also because of our own iniquities are more than we can count. Um, and it's just remember that this is after God has already delivered him. Um, but the psalmist knows God's character is one that is exceedingly outweighed by grace and mercy than it is by wrath. And so he leans on that. And I think we should too. I've been realizing in this journey that I, something I realized in the last year is I, I don't ask God for things. It's really, it's actually hard for me to ask God for things for a number of reasons that I don't yet understand. Uh, it's easier for me to just kind of gut my way um, through something. Um, but I'm also learning that if we don't ask, we won't receive. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how, um, how to learn to ask. Um, so I'd like to read one more poem from Malcolm Geith that's been like a prayer for me at times. Um, it's offered grace, uh, it's brought tears, and I hope uh, can offer grace and serve as a continued prayer for those of us who find ourselves in the Mary Bog and in continued need of saving. Um, I'll mention this poem asks a question at the end of it, 
Uh, and I encourage you, if you need, just to sit with a question. Maybe uh, you hear the question and you hear just a resounding yes, or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't uh, know how you feel, or maybe you're actually like too afraid to admit you know, what your answer to the question might be. And I think all of those things are okay. There's grace for, for all of that. So um, we can only begin the song where we are. If we try to begin anywhere else, it's not our song. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Malcolm Guide's next poem, Through the Gate. Begin the song exactly where you are, for where you are contains where you have been and holds the vision of your final sphere. And do not fear the memory of sin. There is a light that heals and, where it falls, transfigures and redeems the darkest stain into translucent color. Loose the veils and draw the curtains back. Unbar the doors of that dread threshold where your spirit fails. The hopeless gate that holds in all the fears that haunt your shadowed city. Fling it wide and open to the light that finds and fares through the dark pathways where you run and hide. Through all the alleys of your riddled heart as pierced and open as his wounded side. Open the map to him and make a start, and down the dizzy spirals, through the dark, his light will go before you. Let him chart and name and heal. Expose the hidden ache to him, the stinging fires and smoke that blind your judgment, carry you away the murk and muted blood in which you, ne you cannot find the love that you once thought worth dying for. Call him to all you cannot call to mind. He comes to harrow hell. And now, to your well-guarded fortress, let his love descend. The icy ego at your frozen core can hear his call at last. Will you respond? Thank you both, Chris and Steph. Um, we're going to have just an open time. It's going to be silent, but I want to welcome um, anybody to share. It could be just a word or a sentence or, or a couple sentences of whether it's recounting God's faithfulness specifically to him, to us, to yourself, or if it's a, a sentence or two of longing that is taking that faithfulness and, and putting it to use and leaning on it. Um, so let's go ahead and start that now, and I'll, I'll close it up in prayer um, after we've heard, some, heard from some of us. <clears throat> 